Well, welcome back, all of our fine guys and gals, our silver pillars. Silver, silver pilled families. Yeah. Family. One big, giant, happy silver pilled family. It's Wednesday, and that's why you're listening to us. Well, they could be listening to us on Thursday as well. Okay, well, and it's not even Wednesday when we're recording this intro, so jokes on everyone. <laughs> Don't worry, we're just as lost as everybody else <laughs> right now. Anyways, we have a really special guest in this episode that we had a great conversation with and we were excited to get this episode out it's our actually another family member of ours our cousin sarah she reached out to us with some really neat experiences and insight into i guess the death experience yeah this this stuff i've never heard before super super interesting and very eye-opening i think i agree and also very um comforting i would say yeah i think yeah, she mentioned would... that in the recording that it's just kind of comforting and, and i would have to agree with her yeah yeah it makes gives a whole different feel of a whole whole different thought process yeah. for that so yeah super super interesting experiences and i think we'll definitely well everybody will definitely enjoy this get you thinking get you yeah, it'll get your your <laughs> wheels turning it certainly did for us so yeah so thank you sarah for joining us we know um you know we really really had to twist your arm to get to come on here <laughs> you only did it because we're your cousins so thank right. you for for being our cousin and, and doing that for us <laughs> but anyways before we get into that make sure you go on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on and leave us a five-star rating and review. We hope they, they really help. It helps, I guess, the algorithm push us. The more the higher ratings we have, the more five-star ratings we have, the more our show gets pushed to people. And definitely share us if you know anybody who would be interested. Yeah, honestly, that is the... We, we do get a lot of people asking how they can help us like what they could do to help us and that is probably right now the most important thing if you really want to help out silver pilled and help see us grow then that is probably the easiest and most important thing you can do for us and we thank you to all the ones that have done it so far we are we're noticing it we're seeing it and so we again we thank you we never thought we would be here especially as quickly as we got here so thank you everyone yeah, thank you. And if you have any experiences or any any information, anything you'd like to share, uh, definitely get a hold of us. If you want to have an interview, we could definitely do an interview. If not, if you just want to share something, let us know. If you don't want us to talk about it on our shows, please make that. Please let us know right in the beginning. Um, that or in the end, want. just, just yeah. let us know that you, know, you, don't, know. you don't want it made public, right? Whether um, red or or whatever. Yeah. If you if you don't say anything, then we assume that we can share it. Whether even just reading your experience, we won't share names or anything like that. But at least reading the the experience on the air, 
um, unless you specifically tell us not to. Yeah, and, and it's okay to say that you don't want it out there. You know, we, it's right. not going to hurt our feelings. We're just thankful that people are willing to reach out to us with, you know, some in a lot of circumstances something that is that can be traumatic or sensitive. So, um, yeah. if you have anything you'd like to share with us, like Will said, our email address is silverbuild at gmail .com. and we are only on Instagram. You can find us there, Silverbuild Podcast. We don't technology very well, and uh, <laughs> I'm not a Facebook guy, so right. don't social media very well at all. We don't socialize very well, <laughs> right? That's why we're we're hidden away in, in our basement, and yeah, <laughs> pushed down with the spiders in the dark. <laughs> all uh, right, well, enjoy everyone. Let's get to the show. Hey everyone, we're Silver Pilled Podcast. I'm Harrison. And I'm Lowell. And if you want to share an experience with anything paranormal or unexplained, shoot us an email at silverpilled at gmail.com. And if you want to follow us on social media, check us out at Instagram at Silver Pilled Podcast. going to be a fun night we have another family member coming on the show i told you silver pilled family yeah we're, we're silver pilling our family <laughs> right tonight yes. we have our cousin sarah how's it going sarah great thank you so much for having me of course we are excited oh, yeah. to have you wonderful well and i wanted to come on the show actually because i was interested in talking to you both about death and dying so exciting topic oh yeah i'm i'm excited i don't really know you didn't give me too much to go off of walking into it so I'm it's on the going edge to be an seat. educational experience oh good, <laughs> so, That's good. Um, so to preface this i want to say that i am a hospice nurse i've been doing hospice for five years and what that is, is basically the realm of nursing that cares for loved ones when they have reached the end, when there's an indication from their doctor, their family, that they do not have much longer to live. I have seen hundreds of people cross over to the other side through my experiences. And I feel like um, 
one of the things that people often say in the hospice field to anyone new in our field is that if you're not spiritual before you go into hospice, you'll become spiritual once you're in it. Uh, I feel everyone that works in my field for the most part is some believer of God and in faith because it's impossible not to be based on the things that we've witnessed here. And I just think it's interesting enough to, to kind of share because I feel there's nowhere in any field, in medical field, where there's more of a presence of God than there is when someone's about to die. So I want to talk about three different experiences I had. Now there's hundreds, of course, that I've witnessed, but three specific ones, I kind of get a sense of some of the things that kind of give us a glimpse of what's on the other side. And But before I talk about those, I wanted to kind of talk about some of the physical symptoms that we see when someone's about to die. It's a little different in hospice as opposed to in the emergency room or, you know, heaven forbid, in an accident or where somebody's actually dying rather quickly because of the events. And in hospice, death is very slow. And I often tell families it takes a long time to bring a child into the world. It takes a long time also to bring a life out of the world. It's, it's often days or weeks or months on end before someone actually reaches that final destination. And in that, through that process, you see glimpses of what they're going to and as opposed to what they're coming from and how the body kind of changes as the spirit leaves it. So some of the physical symptoms that we see is, well, vital signs, of course, their temperature goes down, sometimes hypothermic and it's a wonder that they're I say so many times it's a wonder they're still alive based on the things that happened to these people but they can get very cold um their blood pressure can go down to I've seen 70 over 30 you know 120 over 80 is the normal blood pressure and for anyone who doesn't really understand what blood pressure is, it's just an indicator of a heart's function and its ability to circulate blood through the body. So if you don't have blood and blood is a carrier of oxygen and oxygen is the nutrients that every organ needs. So it's kind of a systemic shutdown when you don't have oxygen being supplied to the different parts of the body. So of course, as blood starts to slow, that everything shuts down with it. And that's how you reach a natural death. So blood pressure drops and heart rate goes up. Uh, the heart rate's trying to compensate for the loss of blood pressure. So we start seeing someone going from a normal heart rate of 80 something, you know, 85 to up to 120, 150. So they get clammy, flushed. They might be breathing rapidly. But through this whole duration, they're pretty much unconscious. They're sleeping all day. So they don't eat at all. Uh, this can go on for days or weeks on end, depending on how young they are. In my field, anyone under 80 is considered young. So a lot of people like to hear that. But so depending on how young they are, are, how active they used to be and how resilient they are, their bodies might hold on a little longer than their spirit wants them to. But their eyes are often open while they're sleeping. I actually had a call uh, this evening, uh, a wife called concern because her husband's eyes were open, but he wasn't responding to her and she thought he had died. And I told her, no, he's just asleep. He just, his eyes are just wow. open, <laughs> but they might just stay open for days. And then, um, but there's nobody, you know, the lights aren't on, there's nobody home. The eyes are just sitting open. So that's unnerving to people. They also, in more extreme cases, when we're getting near the end, they are completely unresponsive. 
asleep all the time. Their extremities get cold, icy cold, um, stiff, like uh, almost like the whole body is um, going into rigor mortis while they're still living. It might change color, like the feet turn black or the fingertips start to turn black because there's no circulation. So it's like what's called necrosis. The tissue just dies and they don't feel it, of course, because it's so cold, they wouldn't be able to feel it anyway. But honestly, uh, and I'll talk more about this in a moment, but I don't think they're really there um, at that point. So they stop breathing for seconds on end. Uh, it might take up to like um, 30 40 seconds that they stop breathing and then all of a sudden they start breathing again. And that's very difficult for people to witness because every single time they stop breathing, they think, is this the last breath? And then all of a sudden, you know, 30 seconds go by and they take a breath again. And then everyone sits back and waits for the next time that they stop breathing. And they can do, they may take two breaths for every 30 seconds. They go without breath. And I've had people do this for days and, uh, you know, the, the, the ones that are here still living, some of them can go pretty crazy in the process right. of uh, enduring this. Uh, and, and truly, most of them just want it to be over and they have guilt because they don't want their loved one to die, but they do mm -hmm. <laughs> so when you get to that point. But so there's a lot of um, physical changes. And these are things that you don't see when someone dies quickly. But I feel like in spite of that, there's uh, similarities because this is uh, a journey that they're making. And, and for some, that journey is faster than for others. And actually, I wanted to read from a book that I have. It's more like a pamphlet. It's a pamphlet that we hand out to the families that are struggling with people that are dying. It's called Gone From My Sight. I read the whole thing in like 30 minutes, but there's just two parts. I think that it's a good way to describe the way that people kind of seem when they're about to die. So I'm just gonna read these two sections. The first one is um, one or two weeks prior to death. It says sleeping is most of the time now. A person can't seem to keep their eyes open. They can, however, be awakened from that sleep. There is literally one foot in each world. And I feel like that's very important. One foot in each world. A person often becomes confused talking to people and about places and events that are unknown to others. They may see and converse with loved ones who have died before them. They may be picking at the bedclothes and agitated arm movements. There is a seeming aimlessness to all physical activity focus is changing from this world to the next and they are losing their grounding to earth and then near the end the other part i want to read it says how we approach death is going to be dependent on our fear of life and how much we participated in that life and how willing we are to let go of this known expression to venture into a new one Fear and unfinished business are two big factors in determining how much resistance we put into meeting death. The separation becomes complete when breathing stops. What appears to be the last breath is often followed by one or two long spaced breaths, and then the physical body is empty. The owner is no longer in need of a heavy, non-functioning vehicle. They have entered into a new city and a new life. So that's... um the physical, you know, process basically okay. of dying. So based on that, and based on what I've seen, I have kind of a theory, and this is a theory that I've 
shared with families because a lot of them have a lot of questions on why it happens this way, why their loved ones won't let go. A lot of people say to the families, hearing is the last thing to go. So you can talk to them and they'll hear you. And um, sometimes I don't even know if that's true. I've never seen where that truly, when they're in those last stages, when they're unconscious all the time and their body's turning cold, I don't think they can hear anything at all. I've had so many people say to their loved ones, it's okay, you can die. We understand we, we're ready to let you go. And you know, saying anything and everything they could, and it makes no difference. So I, I'd hate to have, I think it's just something to give people hope or something for people to hold on to that they have control over. But in truth, there's really no control over this. This is like giving birth is a natural part of your life cycle. And it's something that you kind of lose control of because you lose control of your body. I think in my theory that once people get to this point, there is a veil that they pierce, you know, that death itself is a veil that they start to wade through. Um, but it's more than just stepping from one end to the other. It's more like one of those, um, I can't think of a better analogy than one of those haunted houses where it's dark and you're just sifting through all these ribbons that are like oh. in the middle of this room trying to get to the other side. Like it's, okay. it's a wandering process. And I know some people that have had near-death experiences say their life flashes before their eyes. And I I feel like in that moment in time when they're wading through this, this uh, period from life to death is when they start to have these experiences of their life. But maybe it's not a flash when it's such a slow process. I don't know if time on the other side is as concrete as it is here. Or maybe everything happens in the blink of an eye for them. But I do think... In so many ways, they are making a journey and every day they are farther and farther from their vessel because every day their vessel gets more and more dead. Well, I mean, we we had a woman once that took so long to die that when we moved her, she literally was in the same position. Like, I, I hate to make the analysis, but like the, um, the, the dead animals alongside the road <laughs> that have oh, been there okay. for a while, yeah. they're in the same death position yeah. <laughs> like her body ne did not move it was in completely a fetal position no matter how you moved her and because her extremities were so um rigid and cold and so i mean they do still have just this one tether to their waking body until they're finally reached the end of whatever journey they're on that they are able to let it go and there are not any reasons i don't think that makes it easier or harder and if there is i haven't quite figured it out because there are people that want to die and have done everything they can and they're at peace and there's nothing left to do there's not one more person they have to see they are ready to die and it still takes them days to get through this tether process. And I'm just gonna call it a tether process because they are completely unresponsive at this point, but they still hold on to life. And these are the people that they barely are breathing. They're completely cold from the knees down, you know, their hands are like ice. And yet here they still sit, still taking shallow breaths, still giving us some small pulse. Those are the people that they're so far on that other world that I read about in, you know, gone from my sight, you know, they have a foot in both worlds, but 
those people have like two thirds of the body in both worlds and just a toe dipping still into their human body. And I'm not sure where or what, what point they reached the end of that journey to say it's time to take that foot out of the water and just cross over completely to the other side. I'm still figuring that out, but I think that the way I describe that to everybody and how I say that they're on this spiritual journey and their spirit is no longer fully in their body, but is making its own journey to the other side, I think gives so many people peace and understanding Mm -hmm. because it's so much more akin to what makes sense compared to thinking that their their soul is trapped in this body that is decaying around them as they actively live and honestly as soon as they die it is almost if their face changes they don't seem to be the same person the life that leaves a body makes it turn into almost like those wax museum people like they don't they just don't look the same the face yeah. changes you know it's them, but it but it doesn't quite look like them. I've, yeah. I've seen that before, too. And then they get to the uh, funeral home, and when they're done with them, it really doesn't look like them. <laughs> Once they make it to the casket, it's a whole new person. But yeah, definitely at that moment of death, it's just, it seems like they're completely gone. And I wish I could say I feel some presence or some shift where I could feel that moment when the soul completely leaves. Perhaps I could if they died quickly, but because it's so slow of a process, I feel like they're halfway, you know, to heaven mm-hmm. by the time it gets that point. And we don't really notice anything except how their face changes. That's an interesting an, an interesting way of looking at it. You you know, I guess I never really think about that you know i just assume like absent with the body is present with the lord you never really consider it like that it's a journey yeah that you're that you're you know especially if it's slow and drawn out yeah you know you're slowly getting further and further like you said like you're eventually you just have one toe dipping here in the physical world and then eventually just completely go and that's when that's when you notice you know you recognize the um like the no pulse, obviously, but recognize the facial changes and the that's and that's why I love hospice. I think this is all so fascinating. But in the middle of this, and just I mean, it's easy to say it's fascinating when it's not somebody that you are related to or love or you know that you're seeing die like this when it's a third person. I'm you know, I'm an outside party coming in just doing my job, but I can see how just the scientific component of it is fascinating, but mm-hmm. I not necessarily here to talk about the scientific component because of course this is silver pilled. So I wanted to <laughs> talk about my three stories and that brings me to my third part. I wanted to talk about evidence of the other side. Now, when I first, well, even before I became a Christian, I did not believe in ghosts. I don't know how you guys feel. I'm very skeptical of all, especially the stuff you see on TV with the EMF readers or whatever they're called and all this stuff. I'm very skeptical. And people will say, oh, I, I, you know, I have a, I have a a ghost in my attic and I'm thinking, yeah, it's just an old house. You know, I don't really have (laughs) belief of ghost spirits, but, and even after, well, and after becoming Christian, I felt like I shouldn't believe in ghosts because if you believe that ghosts wander the earth, then that's the belief that there's 
no heaven almost like in my head i thought that like if ghosts are here wandering around then why aren't they in heaven Uh, you know why are they here and does that mean there is no heaven but i feel like my perspective changed and actually a lot of questions came uh tumbling in when i read through the bible um i'm you know i read the bible every year but this year most recently i've been kind of in the thick of uh first and second samuel and I came across a section of First Samuel chapter 28 that I wanted to share with you. And I'm not going to read verbatim everything because I know when someone reads a whole chapter to me, I start to lose them, especially in, in King James Version. So I'll just read the part that's important, but I, I will give you some context. So in this um, Samuel, First Samuel chapter 28, uh, Samuel dies. He's the advisor of Saul and he's passed on. And they've taken him and they've buried him in his hometown of Ramah. But now Saul's not doing so good. He's in these wars with Philistines. They're kicking his butt. He doesn't know what to do. So he seeks out a woman with a familiar spirit. But he has actually exiled every spellcaster, magician, and witch from his land. So when they find one, they a woman that has a familiar spirit in Endor. He travels to Endor to seek her out and ask her to speak to the dead for him. And she says, well, you know, we're outlawed. So how do I know this isn't a trap? And he's like, oh, I give you my word. You're not going to be punished in any way. Please help me. So she uh, agrees to do this. And I'm going to read just a couple chapters of what happens. It says, then said the woman, whom shall I bring up unto thee? And that's a thing that bring up is brought up a couple or mentioned a couple of times. Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, bring me up Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spake to Saul saying, why hast thou deceived me? Thou art Saul. And the king said unto her, be not afraid for what sawest thou? Asking her, what is she seeing? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, what form is he of? And she said, an old man cometh up and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? So basically... He called her, had her call the spirit from the other side. And at first I thought, what does this mean to bring him up? Which I don't have an answer for our uh, spoilers. I don't know. <laughs> but um, I mean, at first I, my thought was, well, are, are, is he coming out of the ground? But no, because he was b- buried in Ramah and she's in Endor. They're in completely different places. Okay. But she's, and also, why is she calling him a god? She's, but maybe that was just her mistake or misperception because she says she sees gods ascending out of the earth. And this is totally unrelated, but it just made fascinating to me that when they're calling these spirits forth, they're coming up from out of the ground or coming up from some other space. But that's a whole other topic of discussion. But my point is to say there is evidence here that there are ghosts. And it wasn't that he was reincarnate like Christ our Lord because nobody could he couldn't see him. Only this woman with a familiar spirit could see him and she had to convey his messaging so it was definitely 
in ghost form. So that shows me and validates to me that there is the ability for loved ones or people of importance in Saul's, Saul's case to come back in a ghostly way to speak to those on this side, which again, brings forth a whole other discussion. But that gives me enough validation or makes me feel more comfortable with what I've witnessed saying that this is definitely in lines with the Lord's teaching that because I will tell you now, a lot of people see a lot of people that are dead. Um, so many of the people that I have cared for that are dying have seen loved ones that have already passed. Uh, they report it all the time. So it's very common. And I feel like there's some truth to it after reading first Samuel and understanding that this is something that was an element of the Bible. It seems more true to me now. So I have three examples of how this has uh, affected different people that I thought were interesting. And um, with the, well, with the first one uh, is actually my husband's grandmother. When she was nearing the end, we had to, through, his mother couldn't take it anymore, basically. Like I told you, it's very hard for families, but she kind of lost her mind. So I'm not going to get into the details of it. It's a long story, but and we ended up getting possession so to speak of his grandmother in her final days and she was one that fought to stay here fought physically to stay here and I feel like she was doing that because she wanted to see his mother her daughter one last time and we've tried to orchestrate that but it didn't work his his mother didn't want to come she was angry about the whole thing and that's fine it you know what's done is done but in any case she was so restless and tried so hard to stay conscious. I never seen anyone try like that. Most everybody just sleeps and is ready to go. But she was the one case where I could definitely say there was unfinished business. And she was also one where her both of her feet were completely black. From the thigh down, her legs were cold. Like she held on for so long. But there was this moment of time and it was to the point she couldn't even talk anymore. She threw up every time we gave her anything to drink, she threw it right back up. So we couldn't even put anything in her mouth. Um, she was too weak to speak. She just rolled around in bed. And I had um, a baby monitor with a video footage so I could watch from the other room. And I remember specifically waking up that morning and looking at the baby monitor and I see her completely still like at peace and I see her reach her hand up into the sunlight because there was a window right beside the bed. And she closed her hand, but she didn't close it into a fist. She closed it in a way very specific as though she was taking hold of something. Oh, and I wow. feel very strongly that it, she was taking hold of her husband's hand because she was dead within the hour. Oh, wow. So that was the moment that she was finally ready to let go. So that is definitely a, a moment I will never forget because it is so uh, close to home. Sure. But it's just one example. So many times people have said, oh yeah, my husband says he sees his mom standing there. And, but to see it firsthand, and I know that she took the hand of something, like the way that she was holding her hand looked very much like she was grabbing onto somebody else's hand. And it was a very beautiful moment in my eyes because I could just imagine 
her husband's spirit bringing her home um, after the fight that she put to stay here. <laughs> he finally is like, enough is enough. Let's go. And yeah. he took her. So another example was a woman who I do not know why she she held on for as long as she did, but she was so cold. 98.6 degrees is a normal body temperature. And she, her temperature was 95. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how she was still breathing. I don't know how she was alive or why she wanted to be alive, but her husband was devoted to her and he slept in this recliner next to her hospital bed, holding her hand all the time, like all through the night. And then all through the day, he just held her hand and her hand was so cold. It was icy cold. And he just thought if he could hold her hand, you just her one hand, maybe he could warm it or give her some warmth and know that she knew that he was there and, and that he was uh, looking out for her until she was ready to go. And oddly, they had, um, I mean, all their family came from out of state. All of her sons came and her daughters. They all said their goodbyes and she still held on. Held on. And then the pastor from his, their church finally came. They had asked for this pastor to come and she had been active in the church community for decades so the pastor was definitely significant to her and when he came to visit and pray over her for that period of time her hands were warm both of her hands were just completely room temperature and there was no explanation for it mm. except a spiritual one and then after he left they grew cold again and you know eventually she passed a day or two later but that that warming of her hands is just inexplicable. I, I almost would say uh, it's almost like a miracle that, uh, except it didn't, you always think miracles save people's vision or something, right. <laughs> but it just, there's no scientific explanation. But when that pastor came, I feel like she returned a little bit to her body. You know, that tether, you know, she came back like a rope and pulled herself back into that body to be present there with that pastor as they prayed together until he left. But my most significant example of this came with a girl who's 32 years old and had some rare form of respiratory failure. And, you know, when they're about to die, like I said, they're sleeping a lot. They're old. They're often demented. They don't speak a whole lot. You know, there's a lot of obstacles, so you can't get an accurate account of what they're actually seeing. You can only make kind of inferences sometimes. Sometimes they make small comments about it, but there's not a unique or specific description. But this girl is young. She's, um, uh, you know, lucid. There's no cognitive impairment. She was with it. And I really wasn't sure why she was on hospice. When I first came to see her, she was sitting up in bed, having a full conversation with me. And she had uh, what's called a yank cower. It's, um, you know, we go to the dentist and they suck the saliva in the corner mm -hmm. of your mouth, the yank cower wand. Uh, she was using it and suctioning her mouth. So for whatever reason, she wasn't able to swallow anymore. Um, so she was suctioning the saliva out of her mouth, but doing it to herself. Like <laughs> I never saw someone suction themselves before. So she was very uh, alert. But when I was doing her admission, she said, she could see her grandparents standing at the corner of the room. And she was hmm. like, her whole family was there, her mother and her brothers and her sisters. And, but the only people that weren't there, the people that passed away were her grandparents on her mother's side. 
and she um her mother said oh don't don't say that I don't want to hear that and she's like no I'm serious I see them they're standing there but I can't hear what they're saying she kept saying that they're trying to say something and she couldn't hear them so when I left I figured this is going to be a long you admit people and you get a sense of whether or not they're going to be around for a while. And I figured this is going to be a long admission. And I figured we were going to have her for a few months. Then I got a call that she died that night, which astounded me. But I went back to, we have to go and pronounce them uh, as a licensed professional. We have to go in this state to pronounce them before they can be taken by the funeral home. Some other states and places you need a, a coroner before people make comments in the chat. <laughs> yes there are places that you need to get a coroner to officially pronounce them but in where i am at you don't need a coroner a, a registered nurse is sufficient so anyway i digress i went back to pronounce her and when i was pronouncing her her mother uh pulled me aside and said to me the last thing she said to her was i can hear them now mom but it's all right i love you all and then she died and that was wow. the so that was pretty powerful to me. And the other thing I want to mention also is that there's some talk of people saying that when you die, you'll see Jesus. You know, Jesus will be there when you die. That may be the case down the road, but it is not the case when you are about to die. I do not think that because never have I had anyone say to me, there's some weird Hebrew looking guy standing in the corner over there with long flowy hair and a big American looking beard, you know, yeah. <laughs> no ever said to me, there's this man over there. I do not recognize every time it is a family. It's not even a friend like, Oh, my best friend standing there is always family. It is either a sister or brother or mother, or father or child. Usually it's your parents. Most of the time it's the parents. Like I see my mom waiting for me, you know, things like that. So yeah. I feel like that's a myth that can, I could, pretty much bust because i've never ever seen anyone say something like i don't know who that person is it's always a family member welcoming them and i also want to say that the people that they see never seem in any way distressed or sad they're always seemingly complacent or in some way at peace and they bring that peace to the people they're coming for so it gives me hope to think that there's positive things on waiting for us yeah. <laughs> when we go there's positive things so but i think that you know all of this is evidence that there's more than what we know or understand um waiting for us and any skepticism i might have had is definitely been thwarted from all this exposure i've seen um that there's something beyond where we're at now something beyond on the other side yeah. it, it reminds me of when christ is resurrected and it said that all the graves or the, all the bodies came out of the graves and were walking on the streets right like it's almost like i hate to say the word but it's almost like they were in a like in limbo they weren't with with christ yet you know it, it mm -hmm. which you know backs up what you're saying if 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 we're seeing loved ones before you know, as we're crossing over, if we're not seeing Jesus right away, you know, like, like it says, absent with the body and present with the Lord, if almost there's like this, I guess the only way to put it is a spiritual journey. Like you have to, you know, you're, you don't get right at the pearly gates, right? It's right. Yeah. You know, well, like, oh, go ahead. I thought there was also, I'm trying to remember in revelations when it talks about where we all 
leave the earth, right? We're all gathered and know. leave the earth for heaven, but it says the ones who have died go first. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I think you're right. Wish I had the verse in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it states something about the ones who are already deceased go up yeah. to heaven first when we're called. Yeah, I think you're right. So that implies that we're not quite there yet when we die, right? Right. We're almost in a, I don't want to use the word waiting room, but... but like limbo, and I hate to use yeah. that word too, but isn't there like Abraham's bosom and somewhere else like... Tar oh, we talked about it with um, Shelly. No. Tar Tartarus. Okay. Right? There's like, yeah. that's not heaven and hell. There were two separate places. And I guess we're kind of getting off on a silver pill rabbit trail, but to back up the best kind <laughs> to, to back up what sarah's saying though there there does seem to be something that happens after death before we get to i mean in in some circumstances i mean i've heard of people seeing jesus and that might those might be i you know i have no reason to doubt those stories either but in sarah's line of work and i can say um just last year my wife's grandfather passed away and we went to visit him as he was on his way out and you know, he didn't look good. He he recognized us. He was with it enough. But shortly after we left, he passed away. But some of the last things he was saying to his son, my wife's uncle, was, I just got back from the store. You know, this man was bedridden. And his uncle's like, or Heather's uncle was like, well, you know, no, you didn't. And he goes, yeah, I did. I just picked up your mom who had passed away prior. Mm -hmm. I picked up your mom and we drove to the store and now we're back. But it was like he was living out this totally separate thing going on, even though he was bedridden, you know, with his with his deceased wife. Right. You know, and, and like Sarah's stories, you hear this kind of stuff time and time again. You know, they can't all be delusions is what I'm getting at. Yeah, this can't be yeah. the same delusion shared by people in death. It's they are having an experience. Yeah, especially when a lot of the people that it gets to a point where they say, I see my mother over there. I'm like, okay, we're in the last week. Like usually when they get to, if there's, cause there are some, we've had some people that they've said that their whole lives, you know, like, or at least they get dementia and all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, there's my uncle. There's my brother. They're all in the room with me. Those people I'm kind of skeptical of, but when it suddenly manifests when they're on their deathbed and all of a sudden they see somebody and they're reporting that they're seeing somebody, then I'm thinking, okay, we're in the last days. Usually it's the last two or three days. Um, and then they, they pass, whether it seems like they're going to or not. So that's usually a pretty red flag, big red flag in our profession to say, okay, we need to see this person every day because they may not be with us very long. I mean, it's common enough that's to the point that we can use it as a symptom that we chart to say, now they're seeing dead people. So, you know, we're going to, them on daily nursing visits to monitor because they're probably close <laughs> wow so it's almost they get to that point like they're like you said they're almost to that that other side that's when they start to be able to see and hear and interact right i don't think it's specifically at the beginning of the journey it's somewhere yeah. in the middle and and that's why it doesn't happen to, with every person because a lot of times when they're in that journey they're too far gone to tell us anything, but um, if they have a lucid day, if they have a day where they kind of come back to their body, they, that's when we get those reports. But I think it's when the journey's already started that they have that person that's kind of there. You know, the last, the last podcast you did, uh, you talked briefly about Mothman 
and um you know i watched a documentary about mothman and one of the things and you kind of allude to this too in the on your podcast but about how mothman sometimes there's sightings of mothman around large disasters that are about to occur um that some people speculate when mothman first was visualized down in uh west virginia i think is where yeah. is because it all happened right before the bridge collapse that killed 500 people um so if there's people that are here you know if there's cryptids here visualizing in, in a wicked way because they delight in the in the, the carnage well who's to say there's not good souls here as well just doing um solidarity as their loved ones are reaching that final destination that they want to be here i feel it personally it's an honor for me as a on this side the in the land of the living to to be a part of those final days with people um so i can understand why somebody who's already dead would be the same way i'd probably be coming back every family member they'd be like i don't even yeah. know who that lady is <laughs> she's like i'm a third cousin twice removed i just want to be here for you not for support well that's i mean guardian or guide well, guidance um guides to the afterlife is something that's been in a lot of different cultures throughout history as well i mean not even just christianity but a lot of other cultures had the mindset that there were guides to the afterlife or they called harrison psycho pumps that's it yeah i can't believe you. i can't believe i remembered that and you didn't all i could think of lowell was the movie coco <laughs> <laughs> how to know we all have kids <laughs> Go ahead, so what psycho pumps i'm not familiar with that term so it's I think like the most the most famous one is the the boatman across the river sticks. Okay. Uh, so like know, in a lot of like Catholics, you see it portrayed in movies that they put the pennies on the eyes of the deceased. And I'd always heard it was to keep their eyelids closed, to weigh their eyelids down. Well, it, the tradition was so that they could pay the the guy on the boat to help them cross the river of sticks to the other side from life to death. All you have to do really is just put your hand over their eyes for a good 30 seconds and they'll stay close. <laughs> well, I guess I can take the two pennies out of my pocket. Just in case. <laughs> and all that stuff about like people twitching after death, that never happens. Oh, really? People, like oh, emptying their bowels after they die. That happened one time and she might have done that even before she died. Like that stuff doesn't happen either. The, oddly though, it takes a long time for the body to cool off. And mm. like uh, you'll come and their top might be cool, but when you roll them over, their back's still warm. You know, it takes a long time for the body to to reach that cold phase or the rigor mortis phase. <laughs> okay. So I had a couple of questions for you, Sarah. Sure. Um, I wrote down some notes here. It's it's only three, but I'll save the best the big one for last. But these were two things that kind of came to my mind when when you were especially well the first one was when you're talking in about the chapter in in samuel first samuel when he said um they kind of they she saw him as gods almost and maybe that was just kind of a form i know that in and i've just recently been hearing this so i didn't know if you had any insight on it it is said it's like an old wives tale that if you see a bunch of cardinals outside of your window after the death of a loved one it's your loved one coming back to say 
by one final time. Have you heard that? I never heard okay. that. No. That's <laughs> ironic because we were just talking mm-hmm. about it, but that's one thing I'd heard a bunch of recently. And so I, it, that's what it reminded me of when you said first Samuel is like, well, maybe that was just a form. I mean, may, who's to say God can't, is it too much to say that God can't, you know, send a loved one back to say bye? And and why couldn't he put that into like a bird? I mean, I know this is kind of strange taboo territory we're getting into, but. To answer your question, here's my speculation. So obviously I don't have the answer, but here's my speculation. I have been, like I said, around many, many people who have said that they have loved ones standing in the room, pointing in the corner. They're right there staring at me. Never once have I had any sort of poltergeist-ish issue or some indication, no lights flickered, no indicators that there's somebody there from the other side, aside from their testimony and word. And that's what, and the only reason I believe it 100% is because there's so many people that say it. I mean, you can't all be wrong. But that being said, I don't know if there's any evidence that a ghost or, you know, a good persons of spirit could manipulate this earthly world that's not to say that god who sees someone in grief would not in his way and in in his mercy give a sign to say that your loved one is with me now so if there is this testimony of oh i saw five cardinals outside my window i know that this was my wife saying goodbye perhaps it was in a roundabout way but it would have been god's grace that put them there in my opinion That's more than his yeah. wife. absolutely i like that yeah. a lot better than my thought <laughs> that makes a lot more sense <laughs> yeah then, um the second question i had and this was just from because you know our mother is also works in um that kind of arena as you would not not exactly like it but she would always tell me that when someone passed away in in the nursing home in their room it was they the nurses would always open a window no matter the temperature to let the soul escape do you have any opinions on that <laughs> never heard of that oh, okay. no, actually, i have heard of that i think i heard of that in um a horror video game that's that's my guilty pleasure oh. <laughs> watch people play horror video games who could never play them myself and could never watch a horror movie but i don't think that opening the window i don't think is a religious thing it might be a superstitious thing but i feel like our spirit has no boundaries on this earth so opening a window or closing it isn't going to influence where we go it's the people that bring us there or you know the whatever force guides us to that other side um that's going to influence where we go so yeah the opening window thing um is is interesting uh and i wonder where that originated from but i I don't think it it's um grounded in faith that's for sure that's a good point that'd be pretty terrible to pass away and then be a spirit and not be able to get through a closed window right like it's middle winter and the windows won't be open (laughs) till spring (laughs) i think it would be worse is you know how when you sneeze people say bless you because they think your soul's leaving your body right right that terrify <laughs> if all it takes is a sneeze for my soul to leave no me kidding. there's like demons all around scooping souls up because you're not being blessed fast enough what if they can tell a child right. <laughs> that's the last place i'd expect to be is a tissue right. <laughs> that kind of segues into my third question yeah. for you sarah and this is probably the most 
I want your opinion. What then do you think like ghosts are? Do you think that those are in in certain cases, I mean, especially when it's an example of, you know, uh, loved ones closer to death, do you think that like Okay, I'll give you an example. You hear stories of people seeing Civil War ghosts in Gettysburg. Do you, I mean, what's your opinion on that? Okay, I have two thoughts, two possibilities. Okay. One would be, I don't feel like anyone who has found salvation in Christ and knows that they're going to heaven is going to be haunting Gettysburg 200 years later after a war so if anybody's in gettysburg wandering around looking for the the southerners or the yanks or whatever it's either that they they are in some sense demonically possessed or you know have had been involved in some level of evil or tortured in some way in that form okay or and what i feel is more compelling and interesting is that it's some echo of the past because time is <laughs> unraveling <laughs> oh, that's a good point. i feel like time is no longer what it used to be like things don't when you look at the clock it, it it still goes the way it does but i know personally i don't feel like time is the same as it used to be i think anybody could say that time seems to be going faster than it used to but i also think that there's other i don't want to i don't know if there's like dimensions I don't know if they were just or just like ripples in the water, like our earth is impacting and these ripples come back and echo. I know that's really deep and bizarre sure, and, and yeah. nothing to substantiate it, but that whole like glitch in the matrix concept and just people's deja vu um, and dreams and things like that. I, I feel like these are all just ripples in the water. And that's why we're getting glimpses of the future of the past of different pasts and different futures. Like your conversation about the Mandela effect, I think also may be an example of that, of how they're just distorted versions of what our reality is. Because if we are decaying, which I feel like to some degree, you have to admit that this world is decaying. Who's to say that time itself isn't decaying with mm -hmm. it? So I'm, I might sound a little crazy. Maybe we'll stick with the demonic Civil War ghost. <laughs> You're on silver pill. There's no such thing as crazy on here. <laughs> I like that. I like that time is decaying. Yeah, it's something I never thought of either. That's great. Yeah, well, we talk, like my, my husband and I talk about this stuff, because we'll say, whatever happened, like, let's just say we have a cherished glass unicorn that's an heirloom and then you know a year later and we're like where's our unicorn what happened to our glass unicorn where did it go do you remember and we have no recollection of where it is or what happened to it but it's gone i mean how many things has that they're little things and consequential things or there are things that we can't find like the one day he could not find his wallet tore the house apart couldn't find his wallet only to have it placed in the middle of his bed mm -hmm. and you know, it's the clockwork elves because Alex Jones is famous oh, yeah. for espousing that on uh, Joe Rogan or some show. He's like, clockwork elves. <laughs> it's like, it's a perfect <laughs> description. But I mean, it just seems to me like we're 
skipping in and out of the narrative sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, it's getting more and more frequent for more and more people. And that we're all, it's to a point that we're noticing it now. And that's what's yeah. scary. It, Maybe it that, can't... oh, go ahead, Bubble. No, I was just going to say, it just, it can't be brushed under the rug anymore. It's got yeah. to the point that it's, it has to be addressed. And maybe that is because like, you know, again, we don't know for certain and, but it's on everyone's mind anymore is maybe we are starting to see the results of getting close to the end. And, and maybe that veil is getting thinner every day. And I mean, maybe tiny, tiny amounts thinner, you know, but over time, over a couple of years, we do start to notice things like, like you said, the Mandela effect or, you know, the things disappearing and reappearing you know and and a lot of times that's chalked up to poltergeist activity Mm -hmm. because that happened to me as well i've talked about that before but you know when when christ died and the veil was split in two it makes you wonder what it used to be like before that right it's something i always think about what what was it like before that because the the jews obviously believed in ghosts otherwise they wouldn't have thought that jesus was a ghost walking on water right Mm -hmm. so you know obviously that was in their culture and it just makes you wonder what you know what was it like before then because they were terrified you know they were terrified of seeing jesus walk on water believing he was a ghost it wasn't like mm -hmm. oh it's like you know the spirit of someone that's passed away they were they were absolutely terrified of it yeah well i mean in that time period, magic was pretty commonplace. I mean, just look at Exodus and all the miracles that Moses performed. And then the uh, Pharaoh got his little guys to come out and do the exact same thing. Or a lot of them they were able to do in, in magic. Uh, it wasn't the miracles that really defined Jesus, even though that's kind of the perception we have now to say, oh, well, look, you know, Jesus was this miracle person. And that's that's what made him Jesus. It was his death and resurrection that made him uh, the son of God, the true li- uh, living God, the, the son of God. Uh, and that's why that's so important to believe in that for salvation. So them seeing him walk on water and, and think he's a ghost. I, I mean, I don't know if they would all feel that way. Cause I I'm sure there were people that could perform that kind of magic back then. Now I think our magic is in speech. I think we, we say words and incantations, you know, we change and bend language to manipulate people to do our our bidding not you and i and we i mean like mostly people in power do that but magic still exists in a in a lesser way but nobody's curing the blind these days with a touch but i do think it's interesting to think that um i mean if if this is the case and things are unraveling it's a slow process but it's definitely accelerating from when we were children to now and if that's the case, 20 years from now, we're going to be seeing, can you imagine like all the dead, the people we're going to envision, <laughs> all the dead goats <laughs> walking around right. um, that that are you know echoes of the past just resurfacing. Uh, I mean, we're all starting to talk about, we're all starting to go through this awakening now, but you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, there's going to be no denying it. Um, and I think that's when we're going to start to see... Um, price return <laughs> okay. so you you talked a lot about how the soul would almost kind of tend to leave and then come back um and that got me thinking about like astral projection 
and stuff like that where we hear of these people who can i mean with very very good accuracy like project their consciousness around the world and see something do you think that's kind of like the same thing where they can almost like leave their body but still stay stay tethered to it but travel almost into the spiritual realm and then follow that tether back it's just kind of what it reminded me of i do and i think that's a good question i think that there are remarkable things that people can do with different aspects of their body so why could they not do the same thing with their spirit with their with their with their soul the problem and and i'll say like my husband before we were saved he was really into buddhism really into the did a lot of reading about that and he said there was this experience where he was in meditation he was doing yoga and meditation guided meditation and he figured out how to open his third eye which is kind of the start of astral projection and it happened just this one time and it had him so terrified because he it's like he completely changed how he saw the world around him i personally have never had this happen to me so i can't really explain it well but it i will just say in summary that it scared him so much he never did it again so i feel like people could definitely practice that function and bring their spirit out of their body and there's no one there to say bless you but that's the problem because (laughs) okay you're now out of your body and you're wandering around how do you find the tether to come back home i mean i'm sure maybe you could just pull it like a rope maybe it's there but i mean you're going through this with no knowledge or understanding of how you have people that might explain you how to open your third eye you might have people that can basically explain you how to astral project but there's no rule book it's not like passing a permit test to drive a car so you're i mean how many people do we know if there's any at all that have just had sudden deaths because they were messing around with this stuff and didn't know how to get back to their body. And, you know, mm-hmm. some demon came along and was like, Hey, vacancy, or maybe that's, you know, why you get these, you know, demonic possessed experiences with certain people. You know, I, I don't think, I mean, I believe that it is possible for demons to possess people. I mean, that's the whole conversation of the last episode you had. I think it comes and manifests in a more um, emotional way. Like, and people aren't aware that they're possessed. They are not aware that there's something wrong with them. But if you're doing these things without knowledge or with knowledge, you're putting yourself at risk. The same as if you're trying to conjure up, you know, demons are going to Satan con or whatever that was. (laughs) I mean, it all sounds enticing and exciting because the devil's telling you it's enticing and exciting, but, and I, believe you could do that for sure but who knows what the repercussion is i mean a good question to counteract your question a good question would be if someone astral projects does god still protect them you know i have faith that i'm safe knowing that i'm saved and that god will protect me but if that's still the case if you're leaving your body and going wandering around the spirit realm how far does his hand stretch to keep you safe right if you're going to places he told you to stay out of, is he going to be like, well, you're kind of on your own. You made your bed, you lie in it kind of thing. Or, yeah, uh, I don't know if I want to find that answer, though. 
we talk about this astral projection stuff, but we know that, well, at least I think that we're three parts as a, as a human being, we're body, soul, and spirit, right? Now, if our spirit is what travels on into the afterlife, what is our soul? Is that what we can manipulate to leave our body? to you know go travel into someone else's house or whatever they do in astral projection you're you're confusing me with spirit and soul it's like mind and soul you know body mind and soul or spirit soul or spirit but we'll just say soul so it's those are the three parts so when you're astral projecting you're wanting to know is it your soul that's leaving your body or your thought your consciousness your mind that's um yeah that's a good question i think if it is your mind then you're probably safer than um if it was your spirit or yourself for sure yeah. <laughs> you're 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 less uh vulnerable that way i feel but um i wouldn't know unless we try it and i'm not willing to try it well right. come on guys let's let's play rock paper scissors <laughs> get some stage first you know? yeah. <laughs> next to my crystals <laughs> But then, like, I had a friend um, I grew up with in high school, and I reconnect with her lately, and she's crazy new age now, and talking about vibrations, and good vibrations and bad vibrations, and I was fascinated by this concept, but she only associates with people that have high levels of vibration, and if you have low levels of vibration, it affects her vibration, so she avoids you, and I don't know if that is akin to like auras that people talk Mm. about and like um if that's almost like um your spiritual presentation like your Mm. face is smiling so that shows your mental presentation in a physical sense but if your spiritual presentation comes across in this like uh unseen way with these vibrations and stuff Yeah, we're way far from death now. <laughs> Sorry. I told you it was a rabbit hole. Uh, we're known for that. <laughs> I got to say, that is all really, really fascinating, though, with the idea of slowly, you know, of course, there's sudden death stuff, which we can't really talk about now, but but the slow separation, the slow separation body and and spirit and being able to see that manifest physically is really fascinating to me does that happen a lot in what you do yeah does it really uh actively dying yeah Hmm. when you say they're actively dying that's when they start that process it usually takes about a week it depends on if they're younger oh my gosh harrison we had this girl who I don't know if you are familiar. This is she had preeclampsia. She was 22, had preeclampsia while she was pregnant, which is this condition where you get this extremely high blood pressure. It caused her to have a stroke. They did a C-section, emergency C-section, but they said she was brain dead. The the hospital said she's brain dead. Take her home to die. And she lived with no food or water for a month she fought that woman did and they were giving her now we in our field we give morphine we give we go straight to the chase we give liquid morphine they were giving her the the max dose of morphine is 20 milligrams and it's a whole syringe it's of the of the liquid they were giving that to her every hour around the clock so she was basically in a chemical coma because that's what the doctors told them to do 
And I said to them the one time I was doing this visit and, and they were just doing this morphine and every day we had to give them another bottle of morphine because there's only 30 milliliters in a bottle. It was getting to be a pain in the butt. So for that reason, I said, do you really need to give her all this morphine? And they're like, well, the doctors told us that it's like, but she's not in pain. She's not giving you any indication she needs it. Why don't you start cutting back on the morphine? And as they started to cut back on the morphine, they realized that there was a light on upstairs. Like she was squeezing hands when they told her to squeeze hands. Mm -hmm. And uh, she seemed to be more responsive when her brother was there or you know, if she heard her baby crying, she seemed to be like her heart rate would go up. And so eventually they took her off of hospice to wow. actually pursue care for her because they realized she wasn't brain dead but she had every will in her to live and so she went so long i, I was astounded to go a month without drink or eating no wow. none of so i don't think the lord was ready for her i don't think that i don't know if she ever stepped through that veil or went into that fun house room with the ribbons like mm -hmm. she never she never started that journey and she never came seemed to me like there was never any symptoms of active dying she didn't start to get cold her heart rate didn't change her blood pressure didn't change like none of that in all that time even though she was super dehydrated there was no indication that her vital signs were changing i feel like no matter how hard it is for people to hear they go when it's time for them to go. It's time that God's like, it's time. You know, like um, our pastor at the church I was going to died very quickly of lung cancer and devastated a lot. He was 55 and everyone was devastated. His family left the church and scattered to the winds. But what would have happened to him had he been 60 or 70 might've been a hundred times worse. Who knows? Like, yeah. what type of thing he might have endured <clears throat> his cancer was quick and painless and he got out of here very quickly and 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 with grace i think the lord does what's best for all of us whether you know the people left behind wants to really hear that or not it's hard for some and so many people don't think about death until it's at their doorstep and then they can't cope with it but i do feel like there's so many times that these people go because it's they have to now before it gets worse for them. And really, I feel yeah. like God giving us all that hand. Um, and it wasn't her time. It's almost like mercy, right? God knew he was going to die of lung cancer, but out of, out of mercy, he took him when he did so that he didn't have to have to endure. Right. And also he, he didn't know. And maybe that was for the best for him too. He went to visit his daughter in California and got, um, started to get trouble breathing when he came back and here he ended up having a blood clot that traveled to his lung and he had a, a minor pulmonary embolism basically like there was a clot in his lung that made it hard for him to bleed to breathe and when they did the x-ray for the clot that's when they found the cancer and they said it's too far along it was stage four and he was dead I think a month later or maybe a month and a half later so he had very little time to really go through that heartache his family didn't have to watch him struggle because cancer sometimes can be a horrible thing to watch someone go through so yeah it just in hindsight for i mean i'm sure they're still to some degree angry i know a lot of people get angry at god for the decisions he makes but have we ever had something bad happen to us that hasn't made us better in the long run like i have no regrets on the things that have 
I've gone through because it's brought me to where I am now. And I think that that goes for death as well. You just have to believe there's something on the other side. So I, I worry for those atheists because uh, there's nothing but nihilism in their future. Yeah. Well, no wonder so many atheists fear death. You know, and that's why, like the the, the wickedness and power are so obsessed with not dying mm-hmm, and yeah. doing whatever they can to live forever, because maybe part of them knows what's on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> They've sold their soul already, so yeah. they might as well make the most of what they have here. That can very well be that, or they're staunch atheists and they just don't want to go into the nothingness that is life after death for innate, for you know in their beliefs. Yeah. Well, that is really encouraging, though, your testimonies. I mean, that is is really neat to hear because death is one of those things that, you know, it, it comes for us all and it's not easy to cope with when it's your loved one. You know, we've all experienced, I'm speaking for us, I mean, we've all experienced it and it's, it is, it can be painful to watch, but I, there is still mercy and grace to be seen in it. And I think that's really pretty powerful. You know, that's a powerful thing to to be able to share with, with the, you know, the loved ones and the family members of the people that you are taking care of and looking after. Yeah, there's one takeaway. I mean, I know I'm just a voice on a podcast, but for anyone that struggles with this, I can say you know, firsthand that those that you've lost, you will see again. And there will be that time um that you'll reunite um, because I've, I've seen it so often. It, it's, it's inevitable. So even though you're away now and you're departed, um, you just have to endure till that moment comes that you can reunite once more. And I think knowing that, knowing that it's just a little while, you know, after a while crocodiles, they say, <laughs> makes it a, a little easier to get through and, and makes that grief a little less uh painful well thank you sarah for coming on and sharing sharing that with us i mean i think it is i never considered it like that you know i guess i never really really considered death too much just because i haven't been around it too terribly much and and i have faith you know and know where i'm i'm going when i'm dying that it's never really come to my forefront unless it's in this vein of like, oh, ghosts and, and that aspect, but that is, that's, it's really neat to hear. It's really pretty amazing how sophisticated the world we live in and even the world after is. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you having me come on talk, ask some really cool questions, have me thinking about some stuff I never thought of before. It was great to have you on. It was very encouraging to hear that to think that even in death we still get to we'll be reunited with our loved ones is something it doesn't seem to be as dark and foreboding so thank you so much for coming on we had such a great time yeah and and thanks for being our cousin but you don't have a choice (laughs) with that so (laughs) all right boys thank you (laughs) 